0: Uh, Before Josh comes up to bring us God's word, Jill's going to come up and read to us from Matthew chapter 5. So if you could turn to that in your your Bibles or on your Bible apps, um, we're going to be hearing Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 10.
1: Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen.
0: Thank you, Jill. Uh, Josh, do you wanna come up and I'll pray for you? Um, Will you bring us God's word? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to be listening to you and to your words. Father, it is an awesome privilege that we have to be able to do that. And so, Father, I pray that we're able to, to listen well, listen well to what you want to say, and that we, we change how we live in light of what you say to us. And I pray that you use Josh and the, the preparation that he's done and the study that he's done, looking at your words, to to bring us your words into our lives. Use them as your mouthpiece, as your spokesman today, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rui. Good morning. It's great to see you all today. I've lost count, I think, probably the number of times that I've had this sort of conversation with people that I meet. Whenever I... I often see them, they... We get into a conversation and they, they hear my accent and they, they sort of ask me where I'm from. And I'll say, well, I'm from New Zealand. And that sort of explains my accent. And then, then they ask, well, what brought you over here to England? And I'll say, well, I was on a gap year. And then they ask, well, well why are you still here? And they say, well, I, I met a, a lovely girl who I've now married called Priscilla. And they'll say, ah, oh, okay. And they sort of pause in a bit of a silence for a little bit. And then very often they'll, 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 they'll then say this. They'll say, well, why don't you ever move back to New Zealand? You know, why are you still here? What, have you ever thought about going home with the family? And to that, i normally say, "Oh, well, yes, and sometimes and yes is the answer to the last question. And then there's silence again, and then I sort of have to say something more. I say, well, but I'm actually very happy here. You know, I, I've got a lovely church that I'm a part of, and, and uh, there's a, a great family that i have sort of grown to love on Priscilla's side, and got a job that I enjoy, and I've built a life here, and if I, if I did have to go back, i have to start all over again and do everything from scratch once more. And they and sort of begin to understand after a while. and, and Then if the conversation goes even deeper, then, then what I'll often say is, I'll ask, well, why do you think so many Kiwis come over to England? You know, what is it about that? You see, I've had this sort of conversation so many times, and people often think that underneath all these questions they're asking, they always think that the grass is greener somewhere else. And people think that if I only had this thing or, or that thing, that, that that would really satisfy me. And, and it so often comes out in, in thinking about the places where we live, you know, if only I lived somewhere warmer or somewhere more, more tropical, more beautiful, somewhere on the other side of the world where it's more adventurous, then that would really make things different in my life. But when you think about how many Kiwis have come over to England to live here, it's not really about the environment where you live, but there's something deeper going on, and there's an issue that I think all of us are longing for something more than than what we have here. There's something really deep going on. And and the, the issue under all these things, I think, you know, the issue of, of every human is the issue of the human heart. The things that we long for, the things that we desire, the things that we, we hope will satisfy us and give us that. That thing that we're all always looking for. We think, if only we had that over there, if only I moved to that place, or if I had this job, or if I met that person, then things would be okay. Maybe if I had a, a bit more money, or you know, if I just had a bit more free time to do the things that I really wanted, that, that would, would make me content. That would fill me and give me the desires of my heart. Now, there are, there are so many things we long for, and they're so often good things, whether it's family whether it's relationships, whether it's experience or or sort of contentment and satisfaction in life. We want to be full because we often feel so empty. We just feel we're missing out on on something somewhere else. And and like Phil said last week, you know, if only we had one more dollar, then that would be the thing that would just help me out and make, make me really happy finally. You know what Jesus said in our passage we just read? He said, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So rather than looking for these things all around us in the world, what are you hungering for? What is it that can really fill you here this morning? Now, Jesus, he's not just talking about your stomach, you know, the things that going to fill you with food and drink. What he's saying is, there's something deeper going on here. There's something full of truth and, and ultimate meaning that will really fill you like you have never been filled before. So as you wake up each morning, you know, what do you hunger for? Do you hunger for a nice cup of, of coffee and some, some porridge and you know, some golden syrup on top of it, something to fill you for the day? Well, if you have that in a couple of hours, you'll be, you'll be hungry again. But what is it that will fill you, that will last for the rest of your life, and not just that, but beyond that, into eternity? See, your heart, my heart, we, we long for something. We are worshippers at heart. We worship things, but our hearts are empty and they are broken without Christ, without his righteousness, is the thing that we long for. If we think that the grass is greener over there, that that'll make the difference. This time it's going to work, but it but It never does. We always want more, but th- there is good news this morning, and this is what I want us to hear. There's one message, really, and that is that you can be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the obvious question, then, is what? What is righteousness? What, what is righteousness? What are we hungering for? What does that really mean, then, here this morning? And what's well, a key word? That you see, it comes in our, in our passage here twice. And that's significant, I think. See, these Beatitudes, there are eight of them listed. And they, they break quite nicely into, into two sets of four, two halves, as it were. And both sets of four end with a mention of righteousness. And so you see it at the end in, in verse six Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then right at the end in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, what's going on here? What is this thing that has framed these two sets of Beatitudes? The first four Beatitudes, which we looked at last week with Phil, they all have a similar theme, if you think about it. They're all quite negative, in a sense. They're sort of things that describe a state that you wouldn't normally choose. You know, it says, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty. They are sort of, there's a common theme there. and But the, these conditions, they're not just describing your physical or your material state, but it's your spiritual well-being. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And as Phil was saying last week, you know, when when you realize your spiritual bankruptcy, when you see the, the depth of the sin in our heart, and you weep at that sin, and, and you see the true state of who we are, well, that that is the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. That is what we long for, and it's when we then long for it, for a righteousness that is outside of us. Something that we cannot earn or do on our our own strength, but it is a righteousness that comes from the Lord Jesus. But these ideas, as as Jesus begins his sermon with with this great list, perhaps the ultimate fulfillment of that of Jesus on the cross it would have been hidden from these people as they were hearing him speaking. They, what would they have understood when they heard these words? We, however, living after the cross, we have a bit more insight into, I think, what is going on here in these verses. We, we've just finished a great series in Romans, haven't we, as, as a church, that's reminded us of, of the message of the gospel. That in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Christ. So what is Righteousness. Well, in one sense, it is a gift from God. It's something that you cannot earn. It is something that is Christ's perfection that is given to us by faith as we trust in him. We are now made right with God because of all that Christ has done. That is the righteousness that he is seeking. But what would the crowds have heard on that day as he's preaching on the mountainside? What would they have understood as Jesus was speaking these words? I think the whole sermon of, of, on the mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of, of Matthew, it, it is a picture of this life in the kingdom of heaven. And as we've heard these last couple of weeks, the sermon, it's not about how to get into the kingdom of heaven as such. This is what you must do in order to be, to be part of this kingdom. As long as you keep these rules and do those things, this will make, give you entrance. It's not about that. But the sermon describes the character of those in the kingdom. It is a a description of the kingdom itself. This is how the citizens of heaven live. This is how they will act. This is how they are blessed. We today, though, I think, tend to think of righteousness as as in the Romans' sense, generally. We think about being right with God, that the the first four Beatitudes quite nicely point to. And that there's only one way to be righteous, and that is through faith in Christ, and that is right. As you recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, as you weep for your sin, as you cry out to God to give you the righteousness of Christ. And yet there's also, I think, another sense of this word righteousness, and and it's what is described in perhaps verse 10 of the, the sermon. There it describes what those in the kingdom are persecuted for. So maybe the second set of Beatitudes... Talk or describe this other sense of righteousness that the sense where those in the kingdom of heaven will be merciful, they will be pure in heart, they will love peace, and they will strive to make peace. And very often it says they will be persecuted for it. So this is righteousness, the way that you live your life in this kingdom. You know, no longer thinking that the grass is is greener over there somewhere but we hunger for this righteousness, righteous living in every part of your life. As you have received Christ's righteousness, we then live it out in mercy, in purity, and peacemaking. This is the righteousness of Christ that he is speaking of. It is a life that is, that is dedicated to, to his kingdom, and it begins to live out the values of his kingdom in every area of your life. To love what God loves. And as the rest of the Sermon of the Mount will go on to show, it will just unpack how this righteousness is lived out day by day with these new kingdom values. And every one of them is Christ-centered and neighbor-loving. So there's three ideals then in our, in our three Beatitudes we're going to look at this morning. It says, in this way, this is how the people in God's kingdom will be blessed. For for this is how they are, this is how they will act. And as they do, they will be the most satisfied, the most content, the most filled people you could ever imagine. Now the grass won't be greener over there somewhere because they will have found that the whole kingdom of heaven is is like a savannah. It's it's the most rich, lush grassland you could ever imagine. And, And every part of it will never go dry, but it will fill you with eternity as we live out these kingdom values here today. So let's just look briefly then at these three verses of, um, of Matthew 5. And as we look at them, reflect on your own life as, as a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, how evident are these in my life? So verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. There's a great story, I think, that really illustrates this. and If you, if you look at Matthew 18, you can see the this, this story that Jesus tells and it's about a man who was in debt. In fact, he was in, in so much debt that, that if he lived 5,000 lives, he would never have been able to pay off that debt. You can see it in verse 21 of Matthew 18. His debt in today's money was billions and billions of pounds, literally. Now, don't ask how, much, how he got into that much debt, Jesus doesn't tell us, but he is in debt. And the time has come for his debt to be paid back, but obviously he can't. So the king, who, who he, he is indebted to, he demands payment there and then. And so he begins to sell everything he has. He sells his home, he sells his possessions, he sells all his furniture, everything. He even begins to sell his wife and his children into slavery just to be able to get some money to pay the king back. But that won't even scratch the surface of the debt that this man is in. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He's desperate. He's in utter despair. There's no filing for bankruptcy. There's no IVA he can go for. All he can do is beg. And he begs the king, have mercy. Give me time. I'll pay it back. Please have mercy. And the king, he, he looks down at this broken man. And he took pity on him. And there and then he cancelled the debt. Every penny, all 600 billion of them. Can you imagine how this man felt after being relieved of all this life-crushing debt? He'd have his life literally given back to him. Have you ever been in debt? Have you ever felt the the anxiety, the weight, the worry, the sleepless nights, the, the feeling in your stomach, the pain of it, and to have that lifted What a a relief. What a a weight off your shoulders your whole life. You can imagine how this man would have felt. Free, free at last. But then what does he do? Well, you can read it. He he goes and finds another man that this, uh, the man that was in debt, someone else was indebted to him. And he had a fairly large debt. It was about 10,000 pounds in today's money. But this is what the forgiven man says to his other debtor in verse 28. He says, When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, please, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? Then anger, his master, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owns. What a powerful story. Firstly, it shows us a man who has been He has had the greatest debt cancelled that that you could ever imagine. And this shows us what has happened in each Christian's life today. We have had a debt cancelled. That is immeasurable. We have been forgiven every sin that you have ever committed and every sin that you will ever commit against a holy God by the blood of Jesus. And God's grace to us, well, it's immeasurable, isn't it? And just as this man's debt was written off, it was impossibly large. Well, so too have our debts, our sins against God been paid off. We have been shown mercy that we do not deserve. And in this same way, it is expected that the citizens of heaven will also show mercy to others. For far smaller debts, for, for petty grievances, you know, for broken promises, and even big offenses, when, when people do you wrong, and they disappoint you, and they let you down. You see, Jesus' story, his parable, it shows us how not to do it. You, know, you can't expect to go on receiving mercy from God when you won't show it to others. So this is, this is one area of how we hunger for righteousness today. We are merciful people. We, we do what is right by showing mercy in the same way that God has shown mercy to us. And it should should fill every part of our life, every interaction we have with others should be filled with mercy. Now, like you put one drop of red food coloring in a glass of water, and then that whole cup is just filled. Every part of it is dyed, and so the mercy of God should just fill us, and it should, should affect every interaction we have with one another. Now, we're always thinking the best of others. We're taking them at their word. We show grace to them, even when they don't deserve it. But this attitude, it doesn't mean that there's never any, any justice, or that there are no consequences for your actions or their actions to you. See, in Matthew, again, chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says this to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. He says, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, Jesus there, he lists justice and mercy. They are both attributes of God. And and we love justice, just as God does. Now, you could describe justice as this. It's giving someone what they deserve, whether that's punishment or reward. It's what they deserve. But sometimes, and this is mercy, sometimes we give people more than they deserve. That's mercy. But it's not always clear when we ought to do which? When do we strive for justice and when do we show mercy? Well, as parents, think. We often discipline our children, don't we? We don't always show mercy by letting them get away with everything. Sometimes it's actually more loving to act justly and to show the consequences of, of being right and wrong rather than just letting let get, them get away with all their actions. But other times we will show mercy to them. And when we seek God's help, when we seek the leading of His Spirit in our lives, we will know when to show justice and when to show mercy. It's not always clear-cut. But God fills us with His Spirit to help us lead, to act wisely in every situation. And that leads us onto to the second beatitude we're going to look at tonight, today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, when you see God, when you see His heart, His character, more and more in your life, well, then you will know how to act in any given situation. Well, how do we see God then? Remember, the heart of the issue here is the human heart. Purity of heart is the aim. Now, what's purity? Well, something that is pure, it's faultless, it's perfect, it's, it's devoted to, to one thing. It's, there's nothing impure or tainted in it. There's nothing double-minded or dirty about it. It is, it is pure. You know, like a blanket of snow that just covers the ground on a, on a winter's morning. Everything is white. It is one color. And it's beautiful, even in all the variety of the shapes all around us. And yet it makes the whole world sparkle. As this is pure blanket of snow. Or, or maybe like a marriage. Think of the picture there. It, you know, each spouse is fully devoted to the other. You know, there's openness. There's trust, there's, there's no fear, there's no secrets. The marriage is pure, it's, it's unadulterated. They have eyes only for one another. And they are rightly jealous for their spouse. This is, this is a form of purity. It's complete devotion to one thing. And this is the picture then of, of every Christian's heart. It is pure in heart, it ought to be a, a pure heart. One of that is devoted to one thing, and that is to the glory of Of God. You see, coming to Christ as a Christian, it is—it's the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. Coming to Christ is is humbly giving up everything that you thought was good, and of course, every sinful attitude. And you you come to the Lord just as you are. Say, Lord, just as I am, I come. In my hands, I bring nothing. It is. Just me and all my brokenness. You alone are are what I need. And and this act of 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 dying to yourself, of coming to Christ empty and poverty and bankruptcy, he then makes us new creatures. He gives you a new heart. He makes us begin to love the things of God, to be filled with his spirit and to see God and to see the value of, of his kingdom all around us. And where once we, we began to think that Christ's ways were hard or restrictive or they were actually a, a form of bondage for us. As we become new creatures, we see that no his ways are good. His ways are full of life. And, and we see God as he really is, and, and the life, the satisfaction, the, the joy, the fulfilment that being in Christ brings, the wonder at living according to these kingdom values. It's well it's so countercultural. It's upside down. It doesn't seem to make sense in this world that we live. You know, we live in an age, don't we, that continues to want to unravel and deconstruct and, and rewrite everything, to rethink every value that has been, that, that has been built into our society. That as, as, a, as a country here in the West, our, our culture has been built on the foundations of a, of a Christian worldview. And I think it's made us into the most prosperous and healthy and equitable and just society that has ever lived on the face of the earth. It's not perfect by any means. But we live in the society that's grown out of this Christian worldview. With generation after generation of Christians praying the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth. And not just praying that, but actually living it out in their lives. And we see the fruit of it, we are enjoying the fruit of it here and now today. But there is this growing force that, that wants to see the past as, as only bad, that wants to reset everything and, and start all over again, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But citizens of heaven, we will be pure in heart. We will see God's design and His values and the things that have helped create this, this culture that we live in today. because we have been given new hearts that see God for for all he is. We see his design for the world in every area, whether it's sex and marriage. We see his designs as good, whether it's our sacrificial, generous attitudes to our wealth and to our possessions that would share them liberally with all those around us. Whether it's respect for the the sanctity of life, for every human being, whatever their color, whatever their ability, whatever their status, whether they're old or young, male or female, unborn or chronically ill, every life is of great value to our God. And we have hearts that are pure and we love the things of God. We don't seek a name for ourselves or for our own glory, but for God's glory so that his kingdom grows here on earth and the bride, his church, is filled with his spirit and is a light to the world around us. And so as we hunger for this righteousness, this right living, we live it out day by day. And it, it may lead to persecution, as verse 10 says. But, but it is right. There is blessing. And that we will see God through it as we have this purity of heart in every decision and action we make. Now we see his beauty. We see God only in part now. And we see it in the order and the good design of his world We see it in the fellowship and the intimacy of one another in his church. But we will see it in full when the Lord Jesus comes as king of his kingdom to reign on a new earth with his bride. And then this planet will have peace. A true peace that we are all longing for. And that's the final beatitude that we'll mention today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace. Shalom, that great Jewish word. I've got a friend who, who lives in Israel. He's connected with my work. He's a nurse who, who leads a fellowship of, uh, of Christian healthcare workers in Israel. His name's Philippe. And every time we write to him or, or message him on our phones, he'll always start or end his message with Shalom, peace. It's, it's beautiful. You, at first when I started having messages with him it was a bit unusual, but then I began to see that actually you know, this idea of peace it just permeates everything he does. He is longing for that shalom, that complete whole, wholeness, that well-being of, of every part of your life, not just within, not just without one another, but with God himself as well, that we would know that peace that only comes from God. It's a beautiful word. And the citizens of heaven, well, we will be Peacemakers. We will try to build bridges with one another, not walls. We will aim for reconciliation with, with every relationship, with, with harmony. We will seek that in our communities. And this peace, it's, it's genuine. You know, it's not just convenient or shallow, but it's real, it's deep, it's lasting. We long for peace. But do you notice the order of these Beatitudes? Peace comes after. Verse 7 of purity, blessed are the pure in heart, then blessed are the peacemakers. You see, that's, I think, intentional. Purity must come first. We don't make peace at the cost of purity. James 3, verse 17, it's quite clear. It says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving. You see, we don't compromise on what is right just so that we can be at peace with someone. Romans 12, 18 is also helpful. It says, as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, it says. Sometimes we can only do what we can do. Now, children of God, we'll always strive for peace because our Lord is a God of peace. And we see that ultimately in the cross. How we have been brought Into peace with God by his blood shed for us. But life in the kingdom of heaven, this is what it looks like. It is a blessed life when we are living according to the way of the king. You see, we live in a world that is so broken, we know this, we are experiencing it, It it's so confused, it's so desperate in so many ways, and it longs for a blessing. You know, it longs for that shalom, that peace. It's hungry, it's thirsty. But it always thinks the grass is greener over there somewhere. If only I had that, or this, or this was different. But there is a righteousness that, that is made available through Christ. It's been revealed in him. And, it, and in first and foremost, it is a gift of grace that is given to each one of us as we trust in this king. And you receive his righteousness. And then as you are filled with the Spirit of Christ himself, we are sent out into this world to live as his citizens, as people of righteousness, people who are merciful, people who are pure, people who are peace-loving. Now, is that evident in your life? If you're a believer here this morning, do you see these things living out more and more in every interaction that you have? Now, none of us can create this character in our own strength. We need to be made new people. We need to be given a new heart. It's only by God's grace that he enables us to live out these lives. But as you are born again, your priorities begin to change. You're given a mind that longs for the things of God. And we hunger for this this new kind of food, this righteousness that really fills. Not just a cup of coffee or some porridge each morning, but righteousness that will last for eternity. And So let's pray that we will be people who live out this righteousness, experiencing it first in Christ, and then as he sends us into this world to live it out as well. That we will be given these new hearts that live such righteous lives for, for the glory of God. Let's pray, shall we? Almighty God, please, would you fill us afresh this morning with your heart, the heart of righteousness, that, that loves the things that you love. But please make us merciful people, pure people, peace-loving people, that the world would see your glory as it shines on our lives. But please equip us with all we need, change our thinking day by day, draw us closer to you, so that as we see you, the world would also see you through us.